good evening, and welcome to Monsters Among Us. I am your guide, Derek Hayes. Please step inside. There are unimaginable beasts just beyond the woodline, and you don't want to be caught out here after dark. It is spooky season, after all. Welcome to the program. And like I just said, my name is Derek Hayes, and I will be your guide through this tangle of treachery and terror. And if you're new to the program, the concept is simple. I host a hotline. Witnesses call in. They leave the story of their experiences a recording, and I share them with you right here. What kind of stories, you ask? Well, stories like this one from Lucas in Texas. Yes, this is Lucas from Vidden, Texas. I am calling in to give you a big signing. Being a friend of mine, we are canoers and we canoe up and down the Greenbelt Corridor quite often. The Greenbelt Corridor is a flood control stream between Lake Ray Roberts and Lake Louisville. This particular trip was after a massive flood in the area. It didn't flood out any of the towns or anything, but there was quite a bit of water in the section of the Greenbelt. So much so that uh, there was a river close sign up that we put in. Well, me and my friend being hard-headed guys thinking, you know, how do you close a river? We continued on underneath the the uh, river close sign. Well, it just so happened that it was closed for a very good reason because we came across a blockage in the river that was probably a mile and a quarter to a mile and a half in distance. Well, we found a way to get up and get around this blockage and uh, put back in the water and uh, continued on our trip thinking that's, that you know, we could make it all the way to our destination, which was 380 put out point. We had put in at the 428 put in point, and we're going to 380, which is roughly, I don't know, three and a half, four miles, five miles. You know, we were going for a quick trip. But regardless, we put back in the water, and we were in the water for 10 or 15 minutes or so. And next thing you know, we hear this grunt. And when I say grunts, I mean it was a guttural, lacy grunt you could feel in your chest. Uh, and being a paranormal fan and a Bigfoot believer, I understand that he uses infrasound and that he has a cloaking ability of, say, perhaps, is some of what, you know, is believed to be associated with the phenomenon of Bigfoot. Well, the grunt was so bassy and guttural, like I said, that it was like being punched in the chest. It was me and him both looked at each other in amazement, and then a few seconds after the grunt, we hear something walking off through the thicket. And uh, when I say thicket, it's, you know, fairly thick wooded area, not very big, but I mean very, very thick. No place a human would think about hanging out or walking around or being in or anything like that. And, you know, being outdoors and being being fishermen and, you know, being outside, you kind of know the difference between four legs and two legs. So this was definitely two legs walking through the thicket, pushing small trees to the side and you know, never saw anything, only heard the grunt and the, it leaving the area. Never will forget this. Again, thank you for the podcast. I travel for a living, uh, and it makes the trips in between very, I mean, more enjoyable than they should be. So again, I thank you for the podcast. Hope you can use this. Again, thanks. Thanks, Lucas. Now these are certainly details we've heard before. Strange bipedal footfalls. Loud vocalizations in a wave of sound that 
leaves the experiencer breathless. But I will admit this is not your typical location for that type of activity. And for those that don't know the area, Denton and the Greenbelt Corridor are just north of Dallas, so not exactly in the middle of nowhere. And sure, for a few of you that might have been tuning in for a while, you might remember us discussing such Texas legends as the Lake Worth Monster, the creatures of the Big Thicket area, and of course the town of Bigfoot, Texas. But typically, the Lone Star State isn't the top of many Bigfoot lists. But like many other places that are quiet little hotspots, southern Florida, southeast Ohio, upstate New York, Texas has its fair share of interest areas. And one such area, 400 miles to the south, is Bee County, Texas. A lot of people have seen around here, mainly it's along the creeks. That's Richard Robbie, a local real estate agent. The blood runs cold. That was his reaction after he and his grandson spotted one along a creek bed. We learned of one of the first supposed Bigfoot sightings in the county. That happened in Normanna back in 1925 when the creature surprised some cowboys inside a ranch house. Felix Abrego remembered the day he was working on a ranch and spotted the thing. The one I saw was had to been like nine foot tall and his hands were below his knees and he was just taking big old steps but it, like he was leisure, out for a leisure walk. That encounter seemed to have made a real impression. And I tell you what, I don't go out in the brush by myself no more. And if I do, I take a big gun. Back in March, here just outside of Normana, a ranch hand was working in this same exact spot when his dogs began to bark. Then they took off running towards something. When he took a look, well, it was simply too hard to believe. And I see this, this <laughs> look like this big old black shadow that just seemed to, to be, you know, walking across the street. Edward Robinson got into his truck and raced to get a closer look, but it was gone by the time he got there. Now that clip was courtesy of KYTX, CBS News 19, out of Tyler Longview. Now, did you notice the first guy mentioned that he saw the creature in a creek bed? Well, in my research, I noticed several different stories that involve the creature in question in or near rivers or streams. One witness near Navarro County claimed to have seen two creatures, a male and a female, throwing rocks into the Natchez River. So the claims Lucas put forth shouldn't surprise any of us. Confused, confound, and discombobulate, sure. But by now, we've almost come to expect these East Texas sightings. So thanks again, Lucas, for the entry. Now, folks, this entire episode is filled with thrills just like this one. So hold on to your butts. And before we dive into that pile of paranormal, if you have a story you would like to have shared on the show... Simply call the hotline at 1-888-608-NIGHT. That's 1-888-608-6444. And breaking Monsters Among Us news. We won a People's Choice Podcast Award last week. Would you believe we took home the hardware for best podcast in the society and culture category? And I just want to take a quick moment to thank everyone so much for voting and help us take home our first award. It means a lot to have your support. Whether you cast a vote, tune into the show every week, or simply just tell a friend about the show. Just know you are very appreciated. And you motivate me to keep improving the show and, and make it something you really enjoy listening to every week. Also, a big thank you to Sarah and Addie for helping spread the word about the vote. And while I'm at it, happy birthday, Addie. No, I don't get a ton of complaints about the show we produce, but I'd have to say one of the biggest ones is that we don't play enough haunted doll stories. So here to boost our rating is Joe from down the hill from me here in California. Hey Derek, how you doing? My name is Joe. I'm calling from Riverside, California. 
so I was listening to your podcast. I work out in the field and I listen to your podcast all the time. And I was just listening to this guy tell a story about his grandma collecting all these dolls. Something happened to him. So it reminded me of the time. This happened last year. So we will backtrack. My, my wife had this porcelain doll in a box that was given to her by her grandmother. And she had had this since I met her, since she was a little girl. And I never liked porcelain dolls for things that happened to me when I was young. And I'll call back with that story later. But I never really liked them, so we kind of kept that doll in storage. Well, last year we had to move, and we have a six-year-old daughter. And during the move, she found that doll, and she wanted to open it. Keep in mind, this doll is very old, porcelain doll, very creepy-looking. My daughter wants to open it, so she opened it up when we moved to this new house. And, of course, these dolls come with a name and a date of birth. So the name of the doll is the same name as my wife's, and it had a birthday. Well, (laughs) one day, I was coming back from work, and I uh, saw my daughter drew all these happy birthday decorations, put them all over the house, and they were baking cupcakes and all this other stuff. So I was like, whose birthday is it, right? And my daughter says, it's her doll's birthday today. I guess that's what it said on the certificate that came with the doll. So I was like, okay, I went along with it. You know, she likes to bake, she likes to play with her dolls. Let's do it. Well, uh, we ate dinner at night. My sister-in-law was there. She, we all gathered at the table because we were gonna sing happy birthday for the doll. And I was at the other end of the table. My daughter was right next to me on my right side. My son was on the left side. My wife was up standing around grabbing all the plates for the cupcakes and so on. So so we put a candle on the cupcake. The doll was on the table. Uh, We sing happy birthday. And just messing around, I grabbed the doll, pretended like it was going to blow the candle. Well, the second I lift up the doll and I put it close to the candle, the candle turned off. Like someone blew it. But the weird thing is, you could tell when someone blows a candle because you could see the flame, it moves towards the direction of the wind, right? So this candle actually just turned off like a switch went off. The second that happened, it was like a very chilly vibe that I got. And my sister-in-law looked at me kind of shocked because she saw the same thing. And, you know, I asked, did someone blow the candle? But there's no way. The only person that was close to the candle was my daughter and I. And she didn't do it. And she freaked out. She just seemed to look in her face. So my wife thought that I did it. My sister-in-law thought that I did it. I'm like, no, I, I did not do this. Well, I kid you not, after a week later, I didn't want that doll in the house. We put it out in the garage. And it was just sit there. And it's actually still in my garage. Uh, we put it away in some kind of a box for now. But it was kind of creepy how it happened. It was weird. I had experienced weird things with dolls in the past as a child. But this one just kind of brought back all those memories that I had with my sister's dolls. So that's my story. It was crazy. Porcelain dolls, yeah, I would not do that. So, But thank you for uh, your show. I listen to you all the time when out out here patrolling, especially on a nice rainy day like today. So take care, Derek. I'll call you next time. Okay, I was kidding. I think most everybody hates these stories. And they hate them because many of you out there have some sort of creepy doll in the house. Most likely in your children's bedroom. Well, I don't have kids, but I do like to live on the edge. So I have a creepy doll perched just above the very desk from which I write these episodes. Brahms. He's a real killer. Literally. I acquired him from my old job working in film production. He's one of the actual dolls used in the feature film, The Boy. Anyway, you're allowing me to humble brag myself off topic. These things are always around, watching, glaring, staring, boring holes in our souls and sowing dread in our beds. Thanks again, Chow, for calling in. Now, folks, have you checked out the bonus episodes on Patreon yet? For four measly bucks a month, you can get one to two bonus episodes per month and access to over 50 previously released Patreon exclusives. Just visit patreon.com forward slash Monsters Among Us podcast to join today. Oh, and a massive thanks to all those that already have.
So guys, a couple weeks back, I shared a call from Cassie in California, where she spoke of a strange experience she had late one night when a stranger knocked on the front door of the home she was visiting. Well, that story seemed to resonate with many of you. So when I stumbled upon Lauren's entry from Michigan, I just knew I had to share it. Hi, Derek. My name is Lauren. I'm calling from the Detroit area. And I was just driving home from work listening to the most recent episode, which I believe is season 11, episode 2. And there was a call about she was reading a book at like 3 in the morning and had a knock on the door and heard a voice. And it took me back. It reminded me of something that I had since forgotten happened, but... About eight years ago, my parents and I bought a house, which in our culture is pretty common. You live with your parents until you get married and have children or sometimes even after. So when we were moving in, it was summertime, so it was really hot here. And, you know, we keep all of our windows shut so we can run our air conditioning. And when we were moving in... It was just uh, my dog and I staying in the house for the first couple of nights. And first night we're there, I'm sleeping on just a mattress in the living room while we're getting things settled. And about three in the morning, I hear a knock on the door. My dog, who was youth at the time, he has since passed, but he was usually very protective of me. So he did not budge just kind of turned his head sideways and looked at the door, got up with me to look outside. Nobody's there. Okay. Fast forward to the next night. Same thing happens. Same time. It's about 3 o'clock in the morning, maybe 3.30. This time it's a knock on the window. And I'm still sleeping in the living room. And I know it sounds crazy, but I knew it was a knock on the window because I was right below the window. Heard it. Same thing, jolted me awake. So I'm thinking, okay, neighborhood kids kind of playing a prank on me. Next day, you know, everyone's out mowing their lawn. I kind of go around, introduce myself. Well, it's all older people. And I mean, to say this not being rude, they were all sleeping at 3 o'clock in the morning. I kind of asked, hey, are there any, you know, children in the area? Kind of explain what's going on no children there's a baby about five houses down but i mean it's it's a newborn baby so he can't even walk yet so i doubt he's knocking on my door or window so this night i decide i'm gonna stay awake i have the day off tomorrow i'm gonna stay awake i'm gonna watch a movie watch tv do what i can to stay awake and sure enough it's like 3:15 in the morning knock on the door i don't answer knock on the window look outside nobody's there i don't know if it was the black eyed children or whatever uh there was nobody there asking to come into my house but it happened for three or four nights in a row same time knocking on the door or the window never saw anybody don't know it wasn't windy it wasn't stormy it wasn't anything it was perfect michigan summer weather i i I don't know this was before the time where people had security cameras set up all outside their homes but no idea hope you can use this love the show thanks laura now apparently this is a common phenomenon several people have reached out via email and social media describing similar events that they experienced. And it's hard to say it's a paranormal thing, but you'd be hard-pressed to find someone that didn't agree that, regardless of that fact, it's spooky as hell. Thanks, Lauren, for the entry. Tonight's episode is brought to you by Manscaped. When it comes to below-the-waist grooming... There's no need to carve your pumpkins this Halloween. Because Manscaped is here to upgrade your grooming experience. Join the 2 million men who trust Manscaped worldwide by going to manscaped.com for 20% off plus free shipping with the code 
monsters. Now it's a full moon out, and the werewolf in your pants is howling. And it's time to tackle that problem with the Performance Package 4.0, the holy grail of men's grooming items. The Lawnmower 4.0 trimmer features a cutting-edge ceramic blade to reduce grooming accidents, thanks to their advanced skin-safe technology. And did I mention the whole thing is waterproof? Also included is the Weed Whacker, a nose and ear hair trimmer that's a total game-changer, as well as Manscaped's liquid formulations, the Crop Preserver and the Crop Reviver, to make sure your pumpkins stay fresh. Manscaped even threw in a few free gifts the shed travel bag to hold all your loot, and the super soft Manscaped boxers. And if your nails are looking like something out of a werewolf film, be sure to check out the Shears 2.0 Nail Kit. As I've said before, I've been a fan of Manscaped products for years, so trust me when I say you should go get 20% off plus free shipping with the code MONSTERS at manscaped.com. That's 20% off with the code MONSTERS at manscaped.com. As always, supporting our sponsors supports the show. So thank you for listening. And back to the spooky stuff. Now for this next entry, we find ourselves in the United Kingdom, where eight has an entry guaranteed to terrify. Hi, monsters among us. My name is eight, like the number... I was born in the north of England, and I was about seven years old when I lived in a house. The house was always a, it was sort of like a, a rental with the local government, and we call them council homes in the UK. But as council homes go, house was quite nice. The house was built circa 1930s. I know it was built before the Second World War, when my mother I and my siblings arrived to the house. It had to be somewhere around 1969. I remember we went to view the house before moving in, and it was cold, and it was dark. I never forgot the spider that was on the window, which was rather large, and it was illuminated by the outdoor street lighting that we had. We moved in shortly, and I was about six or maybe seven years old at the time. I started hearing chanting. The chanting voices were both women and men, and nobody heard it. My mother never heard it. My siblings never heard it. And I couldn't figure out why. I remember one day I was running up the stairs, and I heard the chanting again, and it was stating, boiler, boiler. And now I don't know if they were talking about the boiler in the basement or if they were talking about actually putting somebody in a pot and boiling them. I don't know. I told you I was a child. At night, I would sleep in the bedroom, which was quite large. My baby brother, he would sleep in the cot with me in the same room. Every night, my bed would shake violently. I didn't know what to do. I just lay in the darkness. The worst thing is, after they were done, or what was done shaking my bed, I would hear my baby brother cry. And again, I was about six or seven years old. And that upset me because I didn't know what was interfering with him, if anything. I mean, he was a baby. They, they cried, right? And what was the worst thing is I never saw anybody coming in the room to aid him. So I would hear him cry, and I was terrified at the same time. So I didn't know really what to do. I didn't know what was really going on. I couldn't protect my brother. That was the worst thing. After it was done, my brother would come again and shake my bed, and again violently, and then when it was done, it would poke me in the stomach, which appeared to be a finger. I don't know, but I could only ascertain it was a finger. And in the lowest whisper, it would say, Gotcha. There was another time I woke up in the middle of the night. I felt a presence around me. And then I had this sensation, which stays with me, even though I'm in my 50s. I felt my entire face shrivel, as though I was shriveling into this old, horrible, hideous thing. My whole face just shriveled. I don't know what it meant, but I do remember feeling terrified that whatever was in the room, I had become this terrifying and shriveled entity. 
fast forward, I was a teenager, and I remember sitting at the steps outside one sunny day of my house, and a woman who had lived in the area for so long came over to speak to my mother. Well, one thing led to another, and she started to talk about the history of my house. She said our houses were built long before World War II, and that the houses were quartered with these soldiers. I don't know what quartered means in the UK sense, but I, I certainly do understand what quartered means in the US sense. But I would imagine that they occupied our houses during the war. And the reason being is that the location of the houses in England were not found on a map where the Germans could locate the positions. So it was strategically a viable defense location for the war. I don't know what happened to any soldiers that occupied my house, but I sense something did. But that's different. But what intrigued me more was her account that happened to the family that currently occupied my family. She told me in the 1950s, a family lived in our house. And in the house was a father and a mother and a small child, a child around six or seven years old. Well, the child had died in the house of a broken neck after falling down the stairs. Now, the stairs in our house are quite steep, and I never liked them. In actual fact, living there, I always felt creepy going up them, but more creepy when I went down them. In actual fact, I always felt like somebody or something was chasing me down the stairs. Anyway, back to the, what the neighbors told me. They said that the lady, or the mother that had lived there, had fallen down the stairs. She had, the, the child had broken her neck. And there was an inquest, and it was found that the girl had fallen, and it was accidental. But after the inquest, there were a lot of rumors and speculation, and people in the village started to talk. And they alluded to the fact that there may have been some sexual abuse of the little girl. And it was during this occasion the little girl fought the father and ended up falling down the stairs, or even... She tried to reach out to the mother, and the father pushed her down the stairs. Anyway, the speculation and the rumors got so much that they ended up moving out. So I asked the neighbor, look, do you remember the child? She said, yes, because she was a very old age. She said, yes, I remember the child. She was a very pretty girl, and she, had, uh, she was Caucasian, and she had blonde hair in the style of a bob. I said, okay, fine, and my mother thought she was nuts. She didn't pay any attention to her. Several years later, I left the U.K. and I, I, I immigrated to the U.S. And I was attending a church, and we had a special guest one day. And this person claimed that she was familiar in Kalean photography, Kalean photography. And I apologize to those that are involved in that type of photography. I, I, I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing it correctly. And I mean no disrespect, but it involves putting on a certain cloak, and then you're supposed to have your aura photographed. And the result is that your aura is supposed to result, you know, to, to result in a color when once the, once the picture and the photograph is produced, there is an illustration of your aura and the color, and that gives you an indication of what you are. In my case, my aura was green and yellow, which indicated that I was a teacher. But what had happened, and I still have the picture today, was that there was a, n a number of forms around me. There were people, you couldn't make out eyes, you couldn't make out forms, you just could make out the outline of them. And one of these forms was an individual that just came up to my waist. So it was clearly a child. But what really struck me and really affected me was that you could see clearly that this person had an outline of a bob, a, you know, an air bob, you know, her hair was in a bob style. So even though I saw this image on this picture that I have, it was sort of taken back. I couldn't really understand. But now I know that that child, for some reason, she is my guardian. I'm well beyond the age of 20. And I do sense this child from time to time. I theorize the spirit of her father, and her was trapped in my home for some time. I don't know. Battling it out, I don't know. But I still feel like she's close to me, but I don't know what the connection is. I have since had a lot of paranormal experiences.
experiences, and I don't doubt I will have more. But anyway, I just wanted to thank you for allowing me to just relay this experience to you. Monsters among us rocks, especially in a time when we live in what I would see as in godly times. Thanks, the gods. Eight. Thank you, Eight. Now let's start with the term quartering. In a military sense, it essentially means that a government or military can commandeer homes to house soldiers, and the owners and inhabitants of those houses can be forced to care for, feed, and give aid to those soldiers. And I also looked into the chant of Boiler. But thanks to the fine folks at Purdue University, I didn't find anything of relevance. And I would also add that I would love to lay eyes on this photograph, eight. If you're listening. If so, send me the photo and I'll be sure to post for everyone to see. You know, otherwise, it's a lot to unpack. So in lieu of a deep dive, I'll leave you with this comparison. Have you ever heard of the infield poltergeist? There's a house in a terraced street in Ponder's End, North London where the events of the past two months have baffled all who've heard about them and scared the life out of those who've been directly involved. This is the home of Mrs. Peggy Hodgson and her family. The sequence of bizarre happenings which unfolded round these children and their mother in September have made the walls of the house rattle with the impact of flying objects and the sound of mysterious knockings. One of the two police officers sent to investigate made the following remarkable statement about what they heard and saw in this living room. There were four distinct taps on the wall and then silence. About two minutes later, I heard more tapping from a different wall. The other police constable checked the walls, attic and pipes, but could find nothing to explain the knocking. The eldest son of the family pointed to a chair next to the sofa. I then saw the chair slide across the floor. It moved approximately three to four feet and then came to rest. I checked the chair, but could find nothing to explain how it had moved. Now that clip is courtesy of a 1970s era BBC documentary on the subject. And for those unfamiliar, the hauntings at 284 Green Street, commonly known as the Enfield Poltergeist, was a flap of activity that lasted from 1977 to 1979. The haunting seemed to be attached to two children of the home, 11 and 13-year-old girls. The strange report drew police, clergy, and reporters from all over the globe. Eventually, the Warrens, Ed and Lorraine, got involved. Now, apparently, The Conjuring 2 is based on this infamous and mysterious haunting though this certainly isn't an endorsement. But aside from there being two children, and the case taking place in the UK, the two stories have one other unique attribute in common. 284 Green Street was also council housing. Thanks again for the Wild Story 8. Now, folks, speaking of viewing images, many of you are fans of and enjoy watching me as one of the presenters on Paranormal Caught on Camera. Over the past four seasons, I've enjoyed commenting on all sorts of strange videos and images. But it's time that I move on. So the fourth season of that show will be my last. So in short, I've decided not to return for the fifth season. Now, I wish everyone at Paranormal Caught on Camera, Meeting House, and Travel the best of luck on this upcoming season. And for those that, for some reason, will miss my face, you'll be seeing more of me very soon. But more on that next week. For now, back to the spooky. This next entry comes to us all the way from China. Tim, please, go ahead with the story. 
Hi, Derek. This is Tim. I'm calling from Shanghai, China, and I'm on my 12th day of my 14-day quarantine here in Shanghai. This actually is not my story; it's my mom's story. I tried, you know, to guilt her into calling your show as part of like a 40th birthday present to me, but she insisted that she just didn't want to. But she said I could, so I spoke with her and took some notes. This story takes place in June of 1974, when my mom was about 14 years old. And it, she was also with my aunt Judy, who was ten years older. And even though Aunt Judy was my mom's aunt, they were more,、uh, more like cousins. They were, you know, best friends, and they still are to this day. And they, at the time, they were from a small town in、uh, northern California called、uh, Bernie, which、uh, back then was a small logging town and farming community. And they took a road trip to the San Jose area and Oakland area to the Cow Palace for some sort of like 4-H or Future Farmers of America convention and showing where the kids show their、uh, show their swine and their cattle and their sheep and stuff like that. And they decided that when it was all over, they would cut across to San Francisco and to the city because you know they wanted to. Meet some surfer boys, and they wanted to meet some city boys and some and some hippie guys, because as my mom puts it, where they were from, there was nothing but cowboys and rednecks, and they, you know, they wanted to meet some cool guys. And from the way I can figure it, this because my mom's not entirely sure, you know, where the the story began, but it, to me, it sounds more like the Half Moon Bay area. Because they decided to take the Pacific Coast Highway up as far as they could, and for your, your listeners that don't know, the Pacific Coast Highway is a stretch of highway that goes the length of California and all the way up to Canada, and it's a beautiful stretch of road. I mean, they were going to take that as far as they could, and then eventually cross over and take the various、uh, other roads over to、uh, Bernie, California. And as they were driving down the Pacific Coast Highway, you know, they saw what. You know, my mom would describe as you know a gorgeous surfer boy, and as she describes him, you know, this is the part that always made my sister and I kind of smile because of the glint that our mom got in her eyes and the expression of fondness that she got on her face. But she still, she says she couldn't still remember him as crystal clear as the day it happened. But as they were driving, there was this guy hitchhiking, and he had you know long wavy blonde surfer boy hair. And he was shirtless, and he had crystal blue eyes. And then he, my mom would say this part, and my sister and I always laughed. His body was amazing. That's what my mom would say, and we would always kind of giggle at that. And as you know, Aunt Judy slowed down the very last minute to、uh, to pick him up. She kind of chickened out, and she stepped on the gas, and they kind of you know peeled out of there. And you know, my mom was like, you know, what are you doing? Like, what are you doing? Like, he's beautiful. Let's pick him up and. My aunt Judy was like, "No, it's not safe." And in hindsight, Aunt Judy made the right decision because this was after the summer of love, 1969, and just that whole area of California, you know, it got really seedy and pretty dangerous, especially for women. And so Aunt Judy is pretty wise to to not pick him up. So the whole ride home, you know, they kept on talking about him, and you know, whom would he have married or chosen, and how gorgeous he was, and all that. My mom just couldn't get over it, you know how how they let this this hot guy get away from them. And the next part of the story takes place between because my mom's not entirely sure between eleven p.m. and you know twelve a.m. at night, and she knows it was that late because or at least that late because she couldn't go home because her、uh, her father was pretty abusive and they weren't able they weren't allowed to get home that late so instead they were going to go to my mom's grandmother's house my great grandmother's house and they're driving on these country roads and off in the distance they can see that there's a hitchhiker and that he is shirtless and automatically they both get excited because they're thinking like oh my god it's him like this is our second chance like what are the odds this is incredible. And Aunt Judy gets closer and closer, and as they get closer to the to the hitchhiker, to the surfer guy, they can see that he doesn't have his bag, but he's also behaving strangely. He's kind of jolting forward and backwards and side to side. And I'll try to describe his shape to you, but my mom, as she kind of describes it to us, or as she shows us, if you can imagine a scarecrow, but its elbows kind of. Hinged or pinned at the elbow joint, so the forearms and the hands are kind of dangling down and, and、uh, pointing towards the ground. That's how he was, and his head was tilted to the side, 
and he's kind of shimmying forwards and backwards and side to side, and his forearms are kind of swaying with him, and his his head is tilted, and his hair's obscuring, you know, part of his face. And right when they were basically going to come to a stop, once again, Aunt Judy floors the gas pedal, and they get out of there. And my mom's like, you know, what are you doing? What are you doing? Like, it's him. It's him. Like, we can't just leave him out here. This is our shot. And Aunt Judy kept on saying to my mom, like, did you see his eyes? Did you see his eyes? And I actually never spoke to my Aunt Judy about this. She's still alive, but I've never spoken to her about this story. My sister has, though. And, you know, Aunt Judy, the way she describes it is he didn't have any irises. Like, his his pupils were just huge and black. And he just looked like he was on drugs or out of it or there was something definitely wrong about him. And this probably all happened over a matter of seconds. And my mom is like, stop, you know, stop, slow down, stop the car. Like, let's go back and get him. And Aunt Judy did slow down the car to like a crawl. And they weren't arguing, but they, you know, they were kind of, you know, I guess just discussing loudly, you know, to go back and go get him. And my mom kept on saying, like, we can't leave him out here. It's the middle of nowhere. It's the middle of the night. And as my mom, you know, turns around to look out the passenger window of the car to see how far away he is, she can see that he's like right behind the car taking these huge steps right towards her window and my mom and aunt judy both scream and aunt judy steps on the gas pedal and they got the hell out of there and they drove as fast as they could all the way to my grandmother's house which was great grandmother's house which was about still you know 15 or 20 minutes away and when they got there they told my great grandmother uh they told my grandmother uh my mom's mom and you know kind of rehashed the story and discussed what just happened and that's where the story ends i'm not sure how paranormal this story is for me i just think of it in terms of probability what are the odds that the same guy from the bay area california would end up hundreds of miles still shirtless in the middle of nowhere hitchhiking in the middle of the night i also can't think of a way to explain how he was able to catch up to the car so quickly. They probably only drove down the road for a couple of seconds, but they drove fast. And he was just able to catch up to the car uh, really quickly. So it's just, an, it's just an odd story. I love sharing it with my students. Um, and my sister and I, we talk about it because we actually travel these same roads every couple of years to go visit family that still kind of lives in that area. And we still pass the same area where my mom pointed out where he was standing and told us this story for the first time back when we were kids. So thank you for your time. Keep up the good work and have a nice day. Thanks, Tim. I don't know, Tim. Was that a simple case of someone on drugs? Or was this handsome hitchhiker something more? I don't know a ton about religion, but certainly the devil wouldn't have to hitchhike, would he? Thanks again, Tim, for the entry. More breaking Monsters Among Us news. A surprise just came in in time for Halloween. Brand new Halloween-themed t-shirts just dropped in the shop. This brilliantly spooky design by artist Jordan Hirschberger features an alien dressed as Sasquatch, trick-or-treating. Now, we actually listed these yesterday, and they've already practically sold out. There's a couple shirts left. But we just put a rush order in, so check the shop regularly over the next handful of days, and be sure to follow us on social media to get the announcement. They will be back soon. That's monstersamonguspodcast.com forward slash shop. Now time for tonight's final entry. Please join me in welcoming Alana from Wisconsin to the program. Hi, Derek. My name is Alana. I live in West Central Wisconsin. And this story has kind of a nonlinear timeline. I guess we'll start in 2009... I was watching TV with my mom and my daughter, and the trailer for the movie The Fourth Kind came on. And in the trailer, there are little clips of the face of a barn owl, and the camera's zooming in on this barn owl's face. And at the end, 
that barn owl space kind of morphs into what we would think of as a gray alien. It's dark eyes kind of elongate, and then you're looking at the face of an alien being. Well, as I'm watching this, something clicks, and I suddenly have this memory come into my mind that I've had all my life, but I've never told anybody, and I went, holy crap, that is just like the dream I had. And so my mom and my daughter are like, what are you talking about? So the dream that I had, I remember having when I was around five years old. So this would be about 1979 when I was living on my grandparents' farm out in the country. And the dream was very simple. It was just me and a little gray alien being. It was just blackness surrounding us, and we're just side by side. It's just a little gray guy. We're about the same size. Nothing's happening. We're just there together. And then suddenly it changes, and then I'm lying in my bed, and I'm looking up at it, and it is looking down at me. Again, nothing's happening. We're just looking at each other. And then the dream starts to change, and... The being is fading away and suddenly changing and morphing. And at the same time, I'm waking up from my dream. And as I'm waking up, I'm looking at a picture on my wall of a cat, of a white cat with dark eyes. So the dream is changing the alien face into the cat face. So that morphing was just like in that trailer for the movie I saw. So I was freaking out because I had never told anybody about this dream, ever. But I still remembered it at 47. So <laughs> this was a very long time that I have I had kept this dream to myself. So as I'm telling this to my mom and my daughter, my mom goes, well, has your dad ever told you about the time we saw a UFO? And I said, no, do tell. So she starts to tell me a story of the time in the same area out in the country, very near my grandparents' farm, when they were driving and my mom happened to be pregnant with me. So that would have been 1973, because I was born January 74. So I'm like, tell me everything. So she tells me that they were driving along and they saw a spacecraft in the field. Well, at first, they didn't know what it was. They just thought it was lights. And my mom said she thought it was something called Find the Beacon, which I'm not really sure what that is, but I guess it has something to do with events out in the country that they used to have, and they would have, like, searchlights or something. So they thought it was something like that. But it wasn't behaving the same way. The the light was following them as they went along. So my parents parked the car and decided to check it out. They said it was just a large craft, like a saucer craft, with colored lights on it, and there was no sound, no sound being made by the craft, no animal sounds, nothing. It was just dead silence. And when they got out and were watching it for a little while, it suddenly just shot over them and disappeared. My mom said she has never seen my dad so scared in all her life and neither of them told anybody because they didn't think anybody would believe them so the next time I talked to my dad I asked him I said do you remember seeing a UFO with mom and he said oh yeah wow I hadn't thought about that in ages and then he proceeded to tell me the same story almost verbatim and he was kind of kind of nervous about it. I guess he'd never told anybody either, but he pretty much concurred with everything my mom said. Well, then years later, I start talking to my aunt and she tells me a story that occurred on that farm when she was a child and one of the neighbors called and said, hey, look out your south window into your field. And so they did. And there, lo and behold, was a spacecraft. And my aunt said she was just dumbfounded. She didn't know what to think. It was just a craft. It was actually in broad, this one was in broad daylight. 
And so they stood there, and they looked out the window at it, and then my grandma told her, all right, we got to get back to folding this laundry. And my aunt couldn't believe it. She was like, what do you mean we got to get back to folding this laundry? There's a spacecraft down in our field. But she had to go continue her housework, and it was never spoken of again. So that's three different stories of three different, well, four if you count me, five actually with my grandma, five different people who have experienced strange phenomena in the same general area in West Central Wisconsin. Thanks, Derek. I hope you can use this story. Love your podcast. Bye-bye. Thanks, Alana, for the entry. An alien-packed entry indeed. Now, I don't know exactly where Alana lives or where these experiences actually occurred. And if I did, I wouldn't go telling just anyone. But I do know she mentioned living in west-central Wisconsin, an area I happen to know is a hotspot for UFO activity. Folks in certain parts of western Wisconsin referred to it as the Valley of the UFOs. But most others just call it Elmwood. At the bottom of a country road in a town tucked deep in the hills of western Wisconsin, after sunset, folks start seeing things they can't explain. I could see the little legs on it, like little pods on the bottom. It was a saucer-shaped deal. When it got over the village, and it was gone out of sight. It may sound outrageous, coming from respectable Midwest dairy farmers and their neighbors, but no one's laughing in Elmwood, population 900, where everyone has either seen a UFO or knows a friend who has. With scores of UFO sightings here the past decade, and with inspiration from the movie Close Encounters, Elmwood townspeople are supporting plans to build a two-square-mile landing pad for aliens, who some think are waiting for an invitation to make contact. But all the UFO talk has made believers out of old-timers like Hobbs Wilson. I seen it. I know what I seen. I'm a believer in it. While a few skeptics say the lights in this old limestone quarry may play tricks after three beers, it was here 12 years ago Elmwood claimed its first UFO encounter, witnessed by village police chief George Wheeler, who died two years later, who told his widow Doris he'd been zapped by a beam of blue light from a hovering spacecraft. I do believe they're from another planet. I really do. Now that clip courtesy of CBS Nightly News and originally aired on April 8th, 1988. Now in Elmwood, which again, I can only guess, is close to the location of Alana's stories, is serious about its sightings. So serious that they hold an annual UFO festival. Residents recounting UFO sightings have become strangely familiar in Elmwood, a small western Wisconsin community whose residents have reported a whopping 100 UFO encounters in the last decade. They have UFOs coming all over town here. I'm Tanya from Lucal. At first glance, it looks like an army of aliens is overrunning Elmwood. Actually, the only invaders are thousands of curious visitors gathering for the town's annual UFO Day Celebration, a three-day extravaganza that pays tribute to the town's faraway friends. Elmwood calls itself the UFO capital of the world, and most say the town lives up to its billing. Where else do you see residents strut the latest in extraterrestrial fashion or cruise Main Street with famous aliens? You might say Elmwood is cashing in on its close encounters at its souvenir shop, filled with UFO memorabilia boasting of the town's claim to fame. Others try the latest in far-out cuisine, the UFO burger, a combination ground beef, cheese, and sauerkraut guaranteed to hit the spot. How does it taste? Out of this world. That one's another blast from the past. It originally aired in 1987 in his property of WEAU, NBC News 13 out of Eau Claire, Wisconsin. Like I said, UFO activity is big there. And I sort of just glossed over this, but remember George Wheeler, the police officer that was knocked unconscious by a blue light from one of these craft? Well, his story is even crazier. One of the first reported sightings in this small town about 35 miles west of Eau Claire was in 1975, when Elmwood police officer George Wheeler 
reported seeing a fiery red ball the size of a football field streak across the sky. More sightings followed in the ensuing decade, including another by Wheeler in 1976. His second encounter was that, an encounter. According to a 1976 Associated Press article, when Wheeler went to investigate what he thought was a fire on top of a hill, he found an object he described as a flaming orange object, 250 feet across and two stories high, hovering above the ground. Wheeler's radio died as he reported the incident, and he was found barely conscious, his car with burned-out spark plugs and points. Wheeler said a blue light from the UFO struck him, giving him a severe headache a few days later. Now, he wasn't the only one to see or experience something that night. A resident near where Wheeler was found also reported seeing the fiery ball and a few people said their television sets went out for 10 minutes around that time. There are a number of signs in the county where other sightings have been made, commemorating the events. Well, that blurb was in an article by the Milwaukee Journal Sentinel. So it's obvious something strange is going on up there. Oh, and I nearly glossed over this as well. The mention of the owl in conjunction with the UFO or alien sightings. Well, we know that's nothing new as well. We've discussed the concept here a few different times. In fact, there's an expert on the subject, author and researcher Mike Cleland. And here he is, in his own voice and words, describing what he believes may be behind the connection, courtesy of Concrete Clips on YouTube. Okay, so let's think, think about this. So if you are an alien from some other realm and you, are, you want to abduct someone and if you show up as an alien standing in the middle of the road, they're going to freak out, right? So if you show up as something familiar that wouldn't be that unusual, an owl, then, then okay, oh, there's an owl on the side of the road. Mm. You know, so a, a deer on the side of the road. It gets a little it. murky when Jesus shows up. But right. so, so the implication is they are using an animal that wouldn't be unusual to see and that they are using some sort of screen memory, some sort of induced hypnosis, let's say, to get into the mind of the observer and, and mess with it in a way that makes them think they're seeing an owl when, it, when in fact it's a gray alien standing in front of them. Now there's no shortage of material by Cleland covering the alien owl topic. A simple Google search will get you there. So it's fascinating stuff, Alana. Thank you for taking the time to not only share the experience, but to track down other encounters in your family. And that's going to do it for this episode. But before I jet, I recently sat down with a fine gentleman over at Bigfoot Collectors Club. I shared some of our best calls. We discussed my personal paranormal history. And I introduced Bryce and Michael to those mirrored men. So search for Bigfoot Collectors Club wherever you get your podcasts. And please tell them I sent you. Now Monsters Among Us is written and produced by me, Derek Hayes. Additional support is provided by Sarah Carter Hayes and Addie Lloyd. All audio used in this production is done so under the protection of fair use. Please help the show grow by leaving a five-star rating and a nice little review. Apple Podcast is the best place if you can do it. Now follow us on social media for further updates. We have accounts at Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And finally, the nightmare-inducing tunes you hear in the background. Well, that's Mark Vandermullen, Co.AG Music, and Carl Casey, and White Bat Audio. Thank you so much for listening. And until next week.
Now the secret entry I have for you tonight is for all you weekend getaway folks. Maybe you're staying in a cabin right now. Jesse, tell them why that's concerning. Hello, my name is Jesse. Well, me and my girlfriend ended up renting a cabin. We rented a cabin at Strawberry, and it's actually up by Pinecrest, so more towards the Sonora area. And we had a great time up there. Uh, we're in these old cabins, and they, they do have, like, a little bit of a creepy feel to them, just, you know, kind of like hair on the back of your neck, just kind of, you know, just, I don't know, just cuckoo feel to them. So we all hang out and have our drinks and the family plays and it's time to head off to bed. And we take off into bed. We're upstairs. We have a big room upstairs. I had trouble falling asleep. My girlfriend was telling me somewhere along those lines that she was kind of having trouble falling asleep in and out. We usually sleep in, you know, like pitch black dark. And for some reason we just agreed, okay, we're going to leave the teach guy. This place is, you know, just a little weird. Probably about 1 a.m., maybe 2 a.m. rolls around, and uh, I just snap out of the sleep. It's, it's crazy. I was dead asleep. I remember my girlfriend sliding her hand on my chest, and I like, grabbed her three fingers, and, you know, just whatever. We were cuddling, whatever. And But anyways, I snap out of sleep, and my girlfriend's looking at me like eyes, huge, big old eyes, just staring at me with a pillow on her hand. And I was like, like, what? You know, like, you know, what's wrong with, you know? And uh, she said, you don't see the shadow? And I said, what? See the shadow? And she said, look up. And, you know, we're laying on our backs. And we look up, and it's just a, a glob of darkness. And it's settled off into the, the corner of the room, into the ceiling. And it was, like, real, almost, like, shape-shifty. It, it wasn't... Like, oh, that, that's a person or, you know, whatever. So she freaked out. The TV's off. I jump up. I, of course, I run over to the TV. You know, I don't want her freaked out. The baby's in there. I can feel the hair on the back of my neck stand up, and I can feel the goosebumps. But they kind of climbed up, you know, up the back of your neck. And I sit down, and, you know, I'm kind of, like, recouping and, you know, getting my get myself back together and she starts talking to me and telling me what was going on she told me you know you were sleeping you were breathing fine and i i guess she said it sounded like almost like i was choking or something was blocking me so i couldn't breathe she was wondering what was wrong so she turned over to look at me and she said she saw this thing this shadowy form over the top of me almost like its hands on my chest yeah, man, it freaked me out. It, I, it's I'm I'm a real doubter. I I listen to the podcast because you know I'm trying to open up kind of my horizons to see you know about the paranormal and you know you hear all this stuff you know so of course I'm very spiritual and that just made the hair on my neck stand up and I I couldn't I couldn't get over it. So the next morning you know we all wake up we're laying on the bed and I look over and above our bed. There was a picture on the wall, and it had uh, four wolves, and they were all just staring, like eyes locked in, like they were looking at like something, you know, like a prey. On the picture, it said uh, underneath it, it said "watchful eyes." And even eight o'clock in the morning, sun peeking through the windows, we're all laying there. It still gave me goosebumps. It still freaked me out. It it just got to me, man. And I think it's because I've been listening to the podcast more and more, and just kind of identifying the not so much the process but just uh, identifying like more opening my eyes you know and seeing it more and you know, i just want to thank you guys you know the podcast is great i'm on season seven episode two i believe i've just been re-listening to them i stumbled across a new one and now i'm going all the way back to the beginning and just been listening i drive far for work but uh i just want to say thank you guys and you know I hope the new studio is going well for you. Have a great day. Bye. Ooh, he's about to hit that Mirrored Man episode. Season 7, episode 15. I'm excited for him. Thank you, Jesse. And the not-so-new studio is all I ever could have imagined. It's probably time for me to do some sort of video tour or something soon. I'll look into that. Anyway... 
I live in one of those creepy cabins Jesse was talking about, so I know that strange feeling he was mentioning. For my place, I think it's more historical than paranormal, but I still get the sentiment. Now, as far as the entry is concerned, if I allowed my imagination to roam off leash, so to say, I could easily see this dark mass somehow attempting to enter Jesse's body. In other words, it's entirely possible that Jesse's girlfriend stopped some sort of possession in its tracks. Again, if my imagination was wandering. It's spooky stuff, sir. And thank you so much for taking the time to share it. And thank you for sticking around to the end of the program. And have a good night. On a summer night, Douglas Wagg Jr. lay motionless across a strip of railroad tracks before being struck by an oncoming train. I'm investigative journalist Delia D'Ambra, and my investigation into exactly how Doug died took me into the depths of a bizarre mystery. It was really hard to understand what was fact and what wasn't. A mystery that has led me from one suspicious death to another. Listen to CounterClock now, wherever you listen to podcasts.